you have to stay on top of trends. Today's leaders always need to be learning. In this environment of limited resources, the only way to remain competitive is your ability to leverage your most important resource. Welcome to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. In this program, we'll dive into leadership fundamentals that are essential to your success. Now, here's your host, Tom Crea. Good Monday morning and welcome back to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. And for anybody who's interested in our past episodes, whether it's about servant leadership principles like self-awareness, humility, empathy, you name it, check out YourEvolvingLeadershipJourney.com and you'll be able to catch up on any episodes you've missed. Now look, we're fast approaching 10,000 listeners and I'm excited to say that this is our last live show for the year and we will be uh, picking up again in 2020 and I'm looking forward to that. But we've got a couple encore performances for the last two Mondays coming up this month. So today we're going to be talking with Jeff Tobe and he is a CSP, which stands for Certified Speaking Professional. For full disclosure, Jeff is a personal friend of mine and he happens to have been my speaking coach and he's helped me and I've had the privilege of speaking at two different events with him, as I recall. Is that right, Jeff, too? Absolutely. Yeah, two different events. One was in uh, Trinidad, Tobago, and that was pretty fun and exciting and a great experience a couple years ago. And anyway, Jeff has got a different perspective on leadership. And because he's spoken at the same different events that I have and the audiences that I like to speak to about leadership, they love Jeff's messages. And he talks about... I'll give you three of them that we're going to talk about today. Getting creative, and he looks. He wants to look at leadership from a new perspective. It's not about you. Servant leadership is an end-to-end experience. And he has another um, uh, talk that he gives. It's called Let's Get Engaged. And it's this is one all about the people you lead and how, what do they do under your guidance. So I guess, Jeff, I should give you a formal welcome. Thank you for being here with us this morning. It's great to be here, Tom. Thanks for having me. Oh, at my pleasure. My pleasure. And like I said, Jeff's been my coach. So again, just a reminder, if you have any questions, our call-in number is 866-472-5790. Again, that's 866-472-5790. So Jeff, when you start your book, and his book is called Coloring Outside the Lines, um, I did a different show earlier where I talked about uh, thinking inside of the box. Well, Jeff's the opposite of that. Um So you talk about in one of your chapters about you can't win the game. If you would talk about this acronym, T-T-W-A-D-I. T-T-W-A-D-I. It's a new English word I kind of made up. It just stands for that's the way we've always done it. You know, when I work one-to-one with organizations, uh, the first thing we got to get past in being creative as a leader is really that uh, mentality of that's the way we've always done it. I call it the T-T-W-A-D-I syndrome. Mm -hmm. (laughs) this whole thing about being creative is, is really about, we have to stop looking in our rearview mirrors as leaders to see how it's always been done before. I really believe in, in looking through our windshields to see what's coming down the road ahead of us. Okay, and you know, there's something else that caught my attention in that chapter. You said, when you begin to accept competition as a head-to-head battle, there are no winners and you tend to lose any advantage you ever had in the marketplace. Please expand yeah. on that. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's, I use the example, I think, in the book of, um, of airlines. You know, whoever came out with the, the uh, frequent flyer program, how many years ago now, it's just commonplace. But uh, the airline executives have to rue the day that, that they came out with that because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, now it's just expected. And so I think that um, competition kind of breeds conformity. 
people fall when when you're competing when you're competing in uh, there's a great book i don't know did you ever read the book blue ocean strategy i read a i thought it was an hbr article on that but but not no it's, it's actually a great book blue ocean okay. strategy oh, it came out in the late 90s but still very applicable and what i love about it is it says that if you compete in red ocean which is very bloody very competitive you're competing on price you're competing on product or service you know, it, it's very difficult. But when you create your own blue ocean, which is uh, free of competition at the moment you create it, doesn't mm-hmm. mean it stays that way. Mm-hmm. Then I, I, you know, that's that's when it gets exciting. I think the same thing about leadership. I think that if you lead the way it's always been done, it's boring for you as a leader, as a servant leader. And and the whole concept of servant leadership, I think, is different. You know, than what leadership has been in the past. Okay, so. So you, you knocked me back on my heels there a bit because you're saying you're conforming. And for me, leadership is about fundamentals and about those basic things that people want, dignity and respect, um, being treated with, uh, you know, they want to be able to grow and develop. So to me, those are fundamental things. What do you mean by, tell me what you mean. No, I totally agree. I, I think that the fundamentals shouldn't go anywhere. I think it's adding that extra wow. That's why I, that's why I, I link uh, what I call customer, and I'm using air quotes. I know your listeners can't hear me, see me, but I'm using air quotes, that that customer experience, that follower experience, that kind of wows, delights, surprises. I'll give you an example, and I hope you don't mind, just offline just now we were just talking about um, the fact that, you know, a leader who's vulnerable, that's, that's like an oxymoron. And yet that's, you know, that's something that I think exposes a leader to, to feelings uh, that their followers can can observe doesn't mean the fundamentals are going anywhere. That's just something different, right? So, what kind of? I think the creative part is the add-on, the the way to give the wow to our people. So, you you, so, uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying to be vulnerable is creating that wow. I do. I, I think okay. that's that's partially it. And for some people, they can't do it, and that's fine too. You know, coloring outside the lines just by the words is about getting uncomfortable. You know, my, I always say to audiences when I'm speaking, as you know, my job is to make you feel uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. what else can we do besides the fundamentals, which are working fine? I'm not saying, you know, change those. Um, and the saying, by the way, the warning, as you know, too, is it's okay to color outside the lines as long as you don't fall off the page. Right. Mm. And I think that a lot of leaders aren't even near the edge of the page. They haven't tried things that uh, are, are different and feel uncomfortable. Okay, now I'm starting to, it's starting to gel in my mind what you mean by it, because last week I had a guest and we were talking about vulnerability and I actually expressed some of, uh, some personal experiences. And I would tell you in my, when I rewind back to my leadership career in the Army, I honestly believe it was when I was being most vulnerable that it allowed the the people on my team to embrace what I had to say more and um, if you want to piggyback on that, please do. Otherwise, I'm going to continue asking a different question. No, keep going. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, the military is a great example, right? Vulnerable, vulnerable. I speak for a living, and I can't say it, but vulnerability. <laughs> and it's and, nine uh, o'clock here, and he's still exactly. got his coffee mug in his hand. <laughs> and the armed services, you know, just don't go hand in hand in, in the typical mentality of leadership. So. Yeah, interesting. So perhaps for me that was different, and and uh, and I just like you you had made the comment just a little while ago about people feeling comfortable enough to do this, and this is where I would argue to anybody who wants to be in a leadership role, it's that self awareness. If you are comfortable in your own skin, you can say those things, and and you you could not feel threatened, and you're going to be able to get cause you're going to cause people to embrace you 
even more. So that's my take on it. Well, let's move on to your another chapter where you talk about attitude quite a bit. And, and you mentioned in that chapter one of my pet peeves. It's a message about what we can't do. And uh, and so I guess you in your presentation to leaders, I've heard you say and relate the story about rock climbing, and you and I think it's pertinent. So can you give us the short version, please? The short version. It's actually happened years ago in, in another lifetime. And, and Tom, I don't mean a Shirley MacLaine other life. I mean a, another work life. <laughs> okay. I, I I'm with you. I, I was a manufacturer's rep. And every year the factory would bring us to the, to the factory to see the new line of goods. And one year they, they just changed everything. They took us on an outward bound experience. Do you know what outward bound is? Yeah, where you, where you take a group of people on an excursion and, and yeah. some like team building exercise? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And it's always based around two things. It's based around team building and it's based around um, uh, leadership. And, and what I loved was it, depending on where in the world they take you, it's also based around a certain activity. And the one they took us to was in Leadville, Colorado. It was based around rock climbing. You know, I don't know about you, but I never had an ambition to climb a rock in my life. Now I know it's popular, but it wasn't back then. And... Um, but the company said, be there, and yet you had to show up. And the bottom line is that, you know, it, it was, uh, they, they made us climb this 90-foot rock face, which to your listeners probably won't sound like a lot of rock, but it's, you know, nine stories of sheer rock, and I need more of an incentive than somebody telling me to climb the rock. Um, and so, we, of course, I climbed it, and I was safe because we'd gone through all kinds of training and everything else. But I, had, I thought I'd make it exciting before I climbed it. And I, I turned to a friend of mine beside me at the time, and I said, you know, I'll bet you $25 I can get there first. And he said, you're on. So now it's a bit of a race, right? I, I, I guess I'm motivated by competition a little bit. And, but there's two other guys lined up, and they both said, you know, we want it part of this. So now it's nine stories of rock and $100 worth of rock. But um, the bottom line is I, did, I didn't win, and I'm still bitter about that. But the bottom line is that, you know, I have to trust that Outward Bound gave me the right tools. You know, in, in rock climbing, the ropes are called belays and everything else. And then I have to believe that getting to the top of the rock is my goal. But as long as I use the tools they give me and the goal doesn't change, who cares how I get there? I, I had a, let's call him a leader. Each one of us had a leader from Outward Bound who was there to tell us and help us get to the top of the rock. And he yelled at me the whole way because I wasn't doing it the way he told me. And by the time I got to the top, that's when I realized that, hey, I used the tools you gave me. The goal of getting to the top of the rock didn't change. Why are you so upset about how I got there? And I really believe that that's the attitude. That's the attitude that we need to instill in our people as, as servant leaders. Here are the tools. Here's the goal. Tell me another way to get there. As a matter of fact, the book time, I also call it the second right answer. Giving yourself an ask, an ASK, an alternative solution kick. And that's what I think leaders need to do nowadays. Yeah, I would agree with you absolutely that uh, provide the tools and let your people decide what their way is to get there. Now, I got to tell you, Jeff, I was a little disappointed for you to say to me, um, I forgot exactly how you said it, but you can't be surprised that you know that I jumped out of airplanes and I repelled out of helicopters. So um, anyway, yeah, but I didn't know you, if you knew what outward bound was. That's all. So. Oh, well, well I, I've done stuff similar, but yeah, I, I was aware of it. And we, we had something in the army. It was called a leadership reaction course, which did the exact same things. All right. Well, look, without getting off. Did you want to say something else? No, no, no. Okay. So without getting on that tangent, um, let's get back to your book. And you start talking about invisible opportunities in the Harvey principle. Oh, yeah. What's My that all about? Thing. 
my favorite thing. Did you ever see the movie Harvey with Jimmy Stewart? Old, old time black and white movie. No, but I remember reading it about in your book, so I won't steal it. Oh, okay. Oh, no, no, it's fine. But, um, you know, I watched this movie as a kid. First of all, for those people who haven't seen it, Jimmy Stewart's character is the only one who can see this uh, this six-foot-tall, white, invisible rabbit. Even as you watch the movie, it's invisible. You can't see it. But Jimmy Stewart apparently can. And he's named it Harvey. And I watched as a kid, took it at face value, very entertaining. But maybe, oh, it's a while, 10 years ago, I rented it to watch with my daughters. And for some reason, I watched it from a whole different perspective. I mean, even if you haven't seen the movie, at the beginning of the movie, they want to commit Jimmy Stewart's character to a mental institution. He's obviously crazy. He's the only one who can see this six-foot white rabbit that he's named Harvey. But watching from a different perspective by the end of the movie, I started to question whether or not he was the crazy one. You know, maybe it was everybody who couldn't see Harvey who was crazy. So mm-hmm. I started to think, how does that apply to leadership? And I, it's a whole chapter in the book, as you know. But the bottom line is the Harvey principle is learning to see invisible opportunities where everyone else sees only visible limitations. Let me say that again. Learning to see invisible opportunities where everyone else says it can't be done. Where everyone else says, you know, our last leader tried that. It didn't work. Those are where the opportunities lie. And I think that a, a servant leader, the difference between leader and servant leader in my mind, one of the differences is the ability to instill this into their people. Look for Looking for those opportunities. Would you agree? Well, you, you know, yes, I would. I mean, I, I, I guess I process things from a different um, angle just because. Well, we, we know that because we're friends. I know you do. So that's what I love. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if you know anything about different uh, personality yeah. assessments and, you know, Jeff's a, a, an I on the um, disc yes. and I'm more of a D, definitely yeah. I'm task oriented and he's people oriented. But look, let's, uh, let's continue with that. You were talking about this uh, invisible opportunities and you have this quote in your, it, I'm paraphrasing your quote, something that says, learn to see the world through your client's eyes. Mm-hmm. That's pretty important to you. Well, you know, that's, it's not mine. And, and I cannot remember who to give credit to, but I went to a sales training class many years ago and the sales trainer said, if you see the world through your customer's eyes, you'll see the way your customer buys. I love that because to me, forget me you know, the, the problem that some people have with the word customer, they automatically think of sales. You know, we all have internal and external customers and no matter what we do, even in our families, I think. But the bottom line is that if we see the world from their perspective, not ours, that uh, changes everything. Um, I, the number one thing I talk about in creative thinking is perspective because I think it's everything. I think that uh, it, it's not easy to do, by the way. Um, it's a simple principle, but it's not easy, if that makes sense. In other words, how do we see the world from their perspective, not ours? That's when we become a creative, effective leader. So when, I, when I'm working with my customers or clients, and, and I believe this is where you're going with this, but I want to hear your take on it, is I try to tell people, hey, you need to learn to speak their language. And I, and I think it falls into learning to understand from your client's eyes or for your, your internal customer's perspective. Is that kind of what you mean? And, and how do you deliver that to your audiences who are managers and leaders? Well, I think it's, it's about just taking the time to stop and, and think. You know, our, our initial reaction is to see things from our perspective. I've seen it a thousand times before. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always say there's more than one right answer to every single challenge your customer brings you, internal or external. And if you'll buy into that, then you're always challenging yourself to look for that second right answer. You know, the famous, uh, do you remember that, oh, I can't remember, is it a picture? or It was of a, 
if you looked at it one way, it was of a young woman. And if you looked yes. at it another way, it was an old woman, right? Yes. I'm sure your, your, your people know what I'm talking about. Um, or take the 13 dots. Remember, connect the dots and you had to go way outside the lines. That's what I'm talking about with perspective. You know, if you accept that there's always a different perspective, then you'll stop once you come up with the right answer and you'll look for the second right answer. Yeah, it's funny because when you were when you were talking about that, I was thinking the exact thing. You were, you brought up the old woman, young woman illusion, and I was thinking of the duck rabbit one. I'm sure you've seen that picture too. Yes, yes. And I share that with uh, with my audiences and I say, hey, if I see the duck and you see the rabbit or, or the old woman versus the young woman, am I right? Or am I wrong? And, right. and the audience, of course, always says, no, you're not wrong. And that's right. so, but you know, why don't we do that when we're in the business environment to say that you can't come up with a different solution than I do. You don't have a different perspective. And so since perspective is good and you, you actually have a story that you, I've heard you share before, but do you have anything else you want to talk about on perspective? Um, not really. I'm not sure where you're going with that. So. Well, I mean, just because you say you've been my coach and my mentor in many ways, I thought you might have more to add and that's okay. Um, because you've got a lot more to offer in different areas. Right. So right. in, in, um, you talk about two, two of the most powerful words, what if. Um, yeah. What do you want to say about that, what if? Well, it's, it's actually a, a system that I give to leaders that you want to get buy-in to your ideas. Uh, there's a very powerful system, what ifing is part of it. Um, I like to say, you know, going back to my, my um, uh, rock climbing story, you know, the way I phrase this is that you, your followers, your people have two mountains to climb. I really believe that. And the two mountains are these. Number one, it's to be listened to, right? And, and it sounds so simple, but when we get down to basics, an effective servant leader is somebody who I think listens to me. And so I give a tool to actually do this. When your people bring you a problem, the first thing we want to do, is, as most leaders will do, is solve it. That's our role, right? I mean, we're leaders. So, so you got a problem, I'm going to solve it. Instead, what I encourage your listeners to do is try this system. The first thing, and to tell people you're listening, is to bite your tongue, don't solve it, and ask a what effect question. What effect is that going to have on the organization? What effect will that have on our family? What effect does that have on you personally? And then just bite your tongue and listen. Because what you've done is, is consciously or subconsciously kind of in their minds, you, you've taken it to a whole different level. You, you're saying to them, I'm listening. I really care and I, I'm listening. But it's the follow-up mountain to climb that's the hardest and that is it's not good enough just to listen i also need to know that you understand and the way to do that is ask what if questions so um the way it goes tom it's, it's sequential it one doesn't work without the other it has to start with a problem the first question is what effect and what the people are going to hear if you ask this question what effect is that going to have um you're going to hear things like well i hadn't really thought about it but or now that you mention it and all we've done is taken it one step deeper. And then the follow-up question is, what if? What if we could? And you make, you make a suggestion, but it's not necessarily going to be the suggestion that we end up with. Because all what-ifing does, it opens up a dialogue. In other words, uh, if I say to you, you know, what if we did this? And you say, well, it feels a little uncomfortable. What if we just did this? And I say, okay, but what if we did back and forth, back and forth? Until when we leave, we've got a mutual decision that we both agree upon. We've opened up a dialogue, and it, I've kind of left you with the idea that, you know what, he really understands. So it's a very, it's much more, that's a half-day workshop, by the way, in the last seven minutes, but it, it really is a very powerful system of questioning. It's okay. problem, what effect, what if. 
So I want to try to paraphrase or capture that, uh, recapture that for the, our listeners. Um, as you were talking, you talked about the two different mountains and you said essentially when an opportunity comes up, instead of being the one to offer the answer is to stop, you know, essentially close your lips and, and listen. And, and I would tell you that uh, when I was in the leadership role, I felt like quite often, number one, other people had just as good or better answers. There's no reason for me to be the one to say what I have on my mind because your role as a leader is to make your people look good because if right. they look good, you're going to do well. Um, but what I liked was um, the other part of your the second part where you said is you're, you're ensuring understanding. So, so I like that as well. Um, any further thoughts on that? No, I, you know, I just think that it, it's, like I said, it's very uncomfortable but um, I would love to hear back I, through you, of course, but your listeners, when they use this, it's eye-opening. Uh, I, I found that when, you know, the, my people, when I have shared this with my teams in, in other, my other work life or with audiences now, uh, it's kind of the aha, believe mm-hmm. it or not. All right. So for you listeners, let me help you out here. Again, I'm going to point you back to the website, yourevolvingleadershipjourney.com. And the reason is this. If you were to go there right now, Jeff's picture and smiling face is on the homepage. It has a link to his book and it has a link to how you can reach him on, I believe, LinkedIn and Facebook right now or Twitter, whatever. Each of the guests I have, I have their social media accounts and you can get to them directly uh, on that page, and it'll co- of course move to the past guest websites here in, in probably next week. And but it'll always be there, so you can reach Jeff. His website will be there, and when this show actually populates and becomes a podcast, you'll also be able to re-listen to this episode. So, so if you have feedback for Jeff, that's how you can reach him. All right, well, let's move on. I think we're probably going to have time for maybe one or two more questions before we go to our break. And let me see if I ask. It. So, uh, did you just talked about your three-part questioning process for survey yeah, leaders? Right? Okay. Exactly. So, now, the next question I have is, you, you, you're talking about in your chapter, you, you title it, To Air is Right or at Least Necessary. And we've talked, this, you, you, so the, we've talked about this before, about how leaders today need to show some vulnerability, and you actually encourage teams to fail. So, we've talked about vulnerability, but I don't know we talked about how you encourage the teams, teams to fail. Did you do that? As you know, I you know I have a program that I present that um, uses clips from a never seen before uh, interview with Steve Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. and uh, it amazed me that even Jobs bought into this philosophy. You know, the bottom line is that uh, mistakes are, are a necessary byproduct of the creative process. Um, you know, if you're willing to accept the norm because that's the way it's always been done, as we said, um, then you're prepared to sell the same old product or or be the same old leader then you're not exercising your, what I call your risk muscle. <laughs> and there is no such thing, but I think that creative thinking and risk-taking goes hand in hand. And, and so it is that vulnerability, but it's also allowing your people to fail. Now, I, and I want to disqualify this, Tom, because, um, you know, I, I sound like I'm giving permission for people to, to you know, fail. <laughs> it, it really is more about if you fail, um, instead of being blamed, what I find with most companies is that the fear of failure comes from the fact that failure was never debriefed. Somebody got blamed, somebody got fired, you know, whatever it is. And so now it creates this climate of, I, I don't want to fail or else there are consequences. You know, what if we just debriefed it, saying to our teams, okay, you know what, it didn't work. Um, what did we learn from it? Going forward, you know, what can we, what can we learn from it? 
It's as simple as that. So uh, it's a whole discussion too. I don't want to you know get into before the break, but there's a huge difference between culture and climate. And and so I'm talking about the climate of the that's that's here and now, just like outside the climate's always changing. So I think a leader has to be aware of the climate more so than the culture. Well, I gotta tell you, you may not want to talk about it before the break, but we've got a few more minutes, and I okay. do, because cause you hit a hot button, and, and I gotta tell you, I'm sure other listeners who, you've heard it before, but if you're listening to this show for the first time, I, I definitely wanna make sure you hear this. Probably the best experience that I had in the Army was something called the After Action Review. The Army instituted this in the early 1980s, so I had the privilege of using it throughout my career. And then late in the 90s, corporate America picked up on this concept. And so quickly, the difference between an After Action Report, something where you you finish an event, everybody writes their um, ideas or thoughts about what was great and could be improved on the, the event or the exercise, and it gets funneled up to some leader and it gets, you know, Figuratively, you punch the holes into it, it puts in a three-ring binder, and it gets put on a shelf somewhere to collect us. Well, the after-action review was much, much different. And so you have to imagine you're out in a field environment, and you go to the, the talk, the, the tactical operations center, and there's this big debriefing tent. You use the word debriefing. And in that tent, you would go in. But when you walked into that tent, you took your, figuratively, you took your rank off, because whether you were a colonel or a private, you were going there to talk about what could be improved so that we can work on it the next time and do a better job and you when you took off your rank so you so the rules of engagement the ROE were you attack the action not the person and the best best thing about that experience was now you're creating a positive learning environment it's okay for the leader to accept uh, criticism about their actions, not their per- who they are as a person. And it works both ways. So I, I do think it's such an important topic. And I will leave before we go to break you to close us out on that discussion. I know. Absolutely. I, I, I think that's a fantastic analogy. How can I top that? Because I, just the fact that you said you leave your rank at the door. Um, I love that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to use it next time. I'll give you credit, but the next time after that, that one's mine. I like that. <laughs> See, that's the Jeff Tobe that I know. It gives me credit the first time. No, he's he's a great guy. Um, all right. Well, look, we're going to we're going to wrap up here. We've been talking with Jeff Tobe this morning about his book, Coloring Outside the Lines. It's um, it's a book about being a little more creative in what you do. And so I think there's a message here. And I know because, like I said, I he and I have spoken at the same event a couple times. And they, he always gets back and asked back more than I do. And he's not a leadership speaker, but he's got a leadership message. And so I'm really, really thrilled to have him here this morning. So with that said, we're going to take our one and only break. And we'll be right back real soon. Thank you. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. As Tom works with leaders, something he consistently sees is their struggle with engagement and retention. Then their frustration with having to repeat the employee development process again and again. What most people don't know is the answer lies in love. Once they realize that they simply need to apply the golden rule, the results are surprising. They start bringing out the best in others. They develop confident, capable employees, and they find they have more fun and freedom and less stress in their lives. Perhaps most importantly, they satisfy what they've been craving. Now they've created the culture that they and their team have always wanted. This is when Synergy takes over, and the results are astounding. 
the first step is critical. When you exhibit the self-awareness and humility that shows you need to learn and improve continuously, you set the example and encourage others to follow. To learn more, visit Blackhawk Leadership Development at BlackhawkSpeaks.com. That's BlackhawkSpeaks.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you have questions or comments about the program, you may send an email to Tom at BlackhawkSpeaks.com. Now, back to your evolving leadership journey. Well, welcome back. We've been speaking with Jeff Tobe this morning. He is a certified speaking professional and the author of Coloring Outside the Lines, a book that he's uh, remodified, for lack of a better way to say it, to a number of different audiences and tailored it to their um, specific environment. Uh, it's one of the ways I've met Jeff, and as I mentioned earlier, he has been my speaking coach, and I've uh, really, really learned a lot from him. So one last thing before we get into the uh, next round of questions here is if you need anything regarding this show, whether it's for a past show or what's going to come up in the future, go to yourevolvingleadershipjourney.com. Again, that's yourevolvingleadershipjourney.com, and you'll find it everything you need related to the shows. You can have links to the authors, their books, their previous episodes, and all that sort of stuff. Okay, so let's go on. You have a chapter that's talked about, uh, the title is, What This Means to You, and you write, you, you shared with me, as a former sales trainer, you act, have actually converted a lot of sales techniques to apply to leadership. Absolutely. One of those is benefits versus features. How does this translate? Well, you know, in, in that capacity, um, one of the things I used to hear all the time, and I'm sure that whether the people have been in sales or not, they know the difference, you know, features versus benefits. Features, mm-hmm. Always sell features versus benefits is what they used to say. And um, I, I started thinking, how does that apply to a, to a leader as well? And again, it's a kind of a technique that I used to use when I used, I started my journey, by the way, as a sales trainer. So, um, you know, a lot of what I take, believe it or not, I hate to, pull back the curtain, Tom, but a lot of what I talk about is really sales techniques that I've applied to leadership that just work. <laughs> and this is one of them. Um, you know, when we tell somebody or, or give somebody an idea or something to do, I think we need to follow it up with what this means to you is, and by doing that, you're automatically, instead of saying benefits, you're doing features. So for example, the example I use in the book I, many years ago in another lifetime, I also was a, I told you a manufacturer's rep, I traveled with another rep and, um, and she did this wonderful PowerPoint presentation. Uh, the company was started in 1897. Uh, we're the largest uh, promotional company in the West, on the West coast. We have, uh, we have, we store everything in house. 
And you know what? I'm looking at her audience, which is only about three people at the time, but at these people, and they're looking going, so what? Uh-huh. And I got, got that aha with leadership as well. It's, you know, maybe we're saying all this stuff, but our people are going, so what? And so instead, the next call we made together, I made her follow up with those words. Now, they don't have to be those exact words, but something to the fact of what this means to you is. So um, our company was started in 1897. What that means to you is that we're not a fly-by-night company. We're not going anywhere. See, so it was that extra kind of add-on. Mm-hmm. Um, we're the largest company of our kind on the West Coast. What that means to you is we can get you pricing that nobody else can get you. So it, it, it's kind of that add-on where people go, ah, I get it. What's in, And as you know, every one of our followers are only listening to one radio station. What is it? What's it for me? Yeah, what well, WIIFM, right? Yeah. What's in it for me? Right. And, and really, you know, we, we smile, we laugh, but I've always taken that to heart. And that's where the idea of perspective came from as well, Tom. Um, can I, I, w- I want to share one more. Sorry, maybe we're going backwards, but when I just said perspective, it reminded me of one other incident that I just want to share with your listeners. Yeah, go ahead, please. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> I didn't understand this RV thing. Um, you know, I have friends who love. You're talking you know, about recreational vehicles? Exactly. Okay. Okay. And, and I have friends who live, you know, they can't wait to retire, get into their, their RVs and drive across the country. And I'm thinking, you know, if you want to retire and carry your house on your back, good for you. But I just don't get it. Um, but about 10 years ago, the RV show was coming to Pittsburgh where we live. And, and my wife, uh, I can't, well, first of all, my wife and I are reading a Sunday newspaper and I came across a full color, full page ad for the RV show coming to the David Lawrence convention center in Pittsburgh. And I turned, and my background's in advertising, as you know. So I, I turned the paper around to my wife who's sitting opposite me in another chair. And I said, honey, look at this, the RV show, a, a full, full page ad in the paper. What a waste of advertising. Well, my wife, who doesn't let me get away with anything from the other chair, says, excuse me. And I'm thinking, 35 years, I didn't know you like RVs. <laughs> and that's not what came out. She said, Mr. Creativity himself. I said, what's that supposed to mean? She said, aren't you the one who tells people to get outside of their comfort zone? I said, yeah. She said, go. I said, go where? She said, go to the RV show. I said, I am not going to the RV show. So when I was at the RV show, <laughs> 35 years should give you the hint there, Tommy. Yeah. But that RV show changed my life. And let me tell you why. Because um, I saw it from a different perspective. That following summer, I dragged my family to Calgary, Alberta, Canada, to the Canadian Rockies. Mm-hmm. We rented a 32-foot RV. We had the most incredible trip of our lives. One day, I am going to buy one of these suckers. <laughs> wow. Why? Because I changed my perspective. You know, I, 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 instead of being, I call it so myopic. And, and that's where that story is really about. As leaders, we often become so myopic which is nearsightedness, uh, so focused on the challenges that are facing our team or our, our, our company that we're not willing to step back and look at the big picture. And, and I think that's, that's a huge part of what we're talking about now. It really is about stepping back and being able to look at that, that big picture. Well, look, let me recap some of what you just said, um, because you, you've said a number of things in, in, the last thing caused me to think of attitude. We've talked about attitude a little bit on this show already. Yeah. And it reminds me of a quote from uh, the late, I think she would call her a poet and a number of other things, Maya Angelou. Yeah. And it goes something to the effect of, if you can't change something, change your attitude. 
and mm-hmm. uh, which I, it just resonates with me. There are a number of quotes that I, hers that I use because I, I just think she was very insightful and had some great things to offer. Now, look, when you were talking about you come from a sales background, I yeah. was writing in my notes and because um, you were talking about it's all it was all about influence is what the note that registered in my mind. And I'm like, you know what? Leadership is all about influence. So there are a Absolutely. lot of similarities between leadership and sales because you're trying to influence others. You're trying to influence, you're trying to positively inspire them because as you and I both know, you can't motivate somebody else because that's an internal um, trait. And so you you can inspire people and you can only get them motivated if you know what makes them tick. So when you, you you were using, I'm going to give you a chance, but I wanted to still recap yourself. Um, you, you said what this means for you. That was a great way to get them to, as Simon Sinek would say, What's the why? But go ahead. I'm sorry. I just wanted to recap everything you that I heard you say in the last segment. No, no, you're absolutely right. And I have no idea what I was going to say. So we can go on because <laughs> I've completely forgotten. But, you know, that's what happens with age. What can I say? All right. Well, I always like when you start, you know, since uh, you're my mentor, you're absolutely right. So you can keep that up, Jeff. Um, <laughs> all right. You don't often hear that from me, right, Tom? I know. I know. So I've got to take advantage of when it comes. All right. So look, uh, I, you shared with me that you're writing a new book and I guess I don't know much about it. Uh, oh. would, you, would you like to tell any of us any about absolutely. that? Absolutely. So let me kind of give you the lead up. As you can tell already, I like to tell stories to prove my point, but I talk about customer experience. Oh, hold on. Hold on. I got to stop you. Why do you tell stories to prove your point? Because that's something you taught me. Oh, no, absolutely. Because I think that's the most powerful way to teach people. Um, I think that if you're not telling jokes, <laughs> you know, it's not a joke. It might be a humorous story, um, but it's a, something personal that I look for that proves a point that I'm trying to make. Mm-hmm. And I think that it anchors uh, for our followers and, and our people. I think it anchors the concept versus just sharing the concept. So, I'm huge on storytelling for leaders. I think that leaders should go to storytelling, you know, uh, classes to learn mm-hmm. how to tell stories better. You're a great storyteller. I've heard you speak, you know, so for some people it comes naturally, but it doesn't come naturally for everyone. Yeah. Well, I had a great teacher. <laughs> right. Yeah. Who no, but, but, but his message there is really, you know, when people walk away, so put yourself in the role of what Jeff and I do, um, and he's obviously done a heck of a lot longer, is you're trying to communicate a message and you've got a very limited amount of time and people are gonna, not going to remember your pearls of wisdom, but they're going to remember the stories you tell. And, and what you want to do is you want to tether your message to the story that you tell so that you can have them walk away and remember it and, like you said, anchor. So please continue, anchor in your new book. Yeah. Um, well, let me backtrack a little bit because like I say, what I'm known for is customer experience. And even when I speak to leaders, you said, you know, I'm not a leadership speaker, but I speak to a lot of leaders because I talk to them about that end-to-end leadership experience. And I think I just want your listeners to understand the difference. When I talk about customer service, when we hear customer service, it's it, customer service isn't going anywhere. It, it comes from the heart. It's still a leader saying, what can I do for you? How can I help you? You know, how can I help you progress? Whatever that is. But the, the, the experience, if you think about it in a retail sense, is the ability to step back and ask ourselves, what's my customer's experience from the minute they make contact with us till the minute they're done? And that involves a whole team. So the best example I can give you is um, I, I went to a restaurant. It's, this is a, a story in my book. I went to a restaurant and um, had the most amazing uh, time. I, the food was fantastic. The the manager checked on us a couple of times. The chef came out and sat with us and explained how our meals were, were prepared. Everything was wonderful. 
After dinner, I walked out with my valet ticket because you had the valet park. And 55 minutes later, my car arrived. See, that's not about customer service. That's about customer experience, right? And so I go back in and the manager to tell the manager and he says, Jeff, I'm so sorry. We have no control over that. We, we farm that out to another company. No, no, no. Don't tell me that. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why, Tom. For almost four years, they've closed about a year ago, but almost four years, it didn't matter if you were flying with me in, in, into Pittsburgh. If you lived in Pittsburgh, I would ask you, have you been to Poros, which was the name of the restaurant? I said, you got to go to Poros. And I had to tell them how wonderful it is and the food is fantastic. And then I'd finish with one word. Can you guess what the word was? And it wasn't walk or Uber. Unfortunately, I can because I read your book. I believe it was no. but, but. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. But your car is going to take two hours to arrive after dinner. By the way, it got longer. The story, you know, the timeline got longer the more I told the story. That's my prerogative. I'm a storyteller. Uh-huh. The bottom line is there's the, uh, my title of my new book. It's going to be called What Comes After the Buck? Because the minute you start asking that as a leader is the minute you become 100% what I call customer focused. In other words, uh, you know what? He's fantastic, but every time I walk into his office, he's so nice to me, but, and again, it goes back to perspective, doesn't it? What comes after the but? And I think that's a, it's just a question that we need to ask ourselves uh, when we really want to be humble and see the world from our, our customer's perspective, not ours. So let me circle back to something because I, I'm I, you're, you talk fast and you have a lot to say and it's great. Um, <laughs> but I want to circle back to something that I thought was very very important. Um, you're going to speak to it from a customer's perspective, and, and let's say I'm in your audience and I say, "Yeah, but I'm a leader. I want to hear how you'd answer this question." So you're talking about touch points. Essentially, when Jeff was talking about the difference between customer service and customer experience, is you've got these touch touch points from end to end, and every one of them matters. And it's important in sales, and he gave you an example of the restaurant that's now out of business. So now I, as a leader, when you're talking to your, your, your leadership groups, um, when you talk about touch points, in my mind, I'm assuming you're taking them through how do they treat their employee from what are the end end? What are some of the things you say to them? So, it, you know, it, it's silly, but when I talk about to an organization about uh, customer touch points, and I'll relate this to leadership in a second, but it really is about getting your people together and telling the, the definition of touch point. Uh, let me start there. And this is really important for your listeners. As a matter of fact, let me give them a, an exercise they can do with their teams. If they're That'll interested. be great. Um, the, the exercise simply, all you need is a flip chart and markers. That's, that's what you need for the exercise. Get your team together and they need the definition of touch point. I'm about to give it. I'm just saying that to give my people uh, grab a pen if they want. But okay. the definition is this. It's any opportunity we have to influence the customer experience. Now, they're going to have to translate that into what they do, but any opportunity we have to influence the customer experience. Okay. So now what you do is you open it up to your team and say, what are our touch points in any given day? And at first it's like pulling teeth. I do this with audiences all the time, you know, and, and the audience will tell me things that have to do with marketing for some reason. That's where they first go. It's our website. It's the business card I hand somebody. Then they start to think a little more because that's the first right answer. Mm-hmm. And then they start to think a little more creatively for the second right answer. And, and by the time you're done, you know, if you milk this and you need to as a leader, you'll end up with 30 to 40 touch points on the flip chart. Write them all down. Put them up on the walls. Take a break and tell your people, okay, you're on the honor system. There are markers up here. 
I want you to come up and put a check mark beside the top five priorities for the team, for the organization, whatever it is, and then bite your tongue. This goes to engagement. I, I truly believe that getting people engaged, which I know we're going to talk about, but getting people engaged comes from the bottom up. It doesn't come from the leader down. And that's often difficult for leaders to accept. I know in the military, you buy into this for sure. If we can get our people engaged at a grassroots level, it will work its way up. And, um, and so this is, this is an exercise that will do that. So now you ask them to identify the top five, their top five priority touch points. You come back and you, you look at where the most checkpoints are, check marks are, and you'll have your top five. And then the next question to ask is go through them and say, okay, so what you've marked here is our number one, one of our top priorities, touch, priority touch points is our on hold message. I'm making this up, mm-hmm. uh, but okay. Who owns the on hold message? And this points to accountability. So every single touch point has to be owned by somebody. And, and once somebody owns it, then you challenge them to, and you say, okay, how do we make that one little touch point, our on hold message a little better? By doing that with all five of those top priority touch points, and you don't have to do five, you could do all 35 if you wanted. But the bottom line is that by making those small little touch points a little better, it will completely change the exterior experience for our customer. Um, I, I can give you a, a, one quick example. So um, uh, Shadow Milk Company, it's a, a company out of Missouri, very small company, 65 people. We did this exercise and I facilitated it. And when we came back, what they do, by the way, is they process milk. So they have one client, a customer who's a farmer. They literally pick up the milk from the mm-hmm. farmer. They process it. Then they sell it to small retailers, their second customer. Okay. The number one priority they identified were their drivers. I mean, no surprise, pick up and delivery. Who has more frontline contact with the, the customer than their drivers? So I took the six drivers aside at lunch. I said, you know, congratulations on being identified as the number one priority in the company. You should have seen their faces. First of all, I don't think anybody's ever recognized them as a group before. Mm-hmm. I said to them, what's one thing we could do to tweak, to make a little better, this one little touch point called pickup and delivery. And without hesitation, one of the drivers smiled and he said, well, when I tell somebody what I do or where I work at Shadow Milk Company, I get a bit of a giggle. I was wondering if we could use that somewhere in the company. Well, guess what? On the back of every Shadow Milk Company truck, under their logo, it now says, in case of accident, please have cookies ready. Lots and <laughs> lots and lots of cookies, right? So you pull up behind the truck and you smile and you associate it with Shadow Milk Company, but that's not the power of it. The power is, what do you think the driver, and not of the truck, but the driver who suggested it, what do you think he's saying to everybody he knows? That was my idea. And look, it's on the back of every truck. You know, do you think he's satisfied at work or do you think he's engaged? He's engaged. Right. It starts at a grassroots level. And I have no idea where we started this conversation, but it really is about so many different components there. But bottom line is, is getting our people more engaged in what they do every day. What comes after the butt? Yeah, exactly. That's where we started it because your new book, (laughs) What Comes After the Butt. There you go. Um, And and Tom, without putting a blatant plug in, but, you know, I do have another book and I I just want to quickly mention the title not for a plug, but for your people to think about. It's called Anticipate, Knowing What Customers Need Before They Do. And to me, that, that's, that's the, the, you know, the essence of what servant leadership is. It, it's not about reaction. It's about anticipating what our people need and knowing what our customers need before they do. 
um, that's that's a servant leader. Yeah, I think this ties back to your your thoughts and my thoughts about perspective is if you and you're you use this quote several times when we see the world through our client's eyes, um, you see the way the client buys and and I and I like that because what you're saying is the leaders out there is to to get inside your internal customers head, uh, know what makes them tick how they think. And when you can do that, then you can tap into their spirit and then you can create more engagement. So well, did I capture that accurately? Yeah, yeah. It's also just a, about knowing your customer better than anybody else. You know, I, there's a whole other story. I tell a pizza story, but the bottom line is that it's understanding your customer and then working with them in a way in which they need to be worked with. If that makes sense, I don't know if that's good English, but it, it really is not, not about understanding my customer and working with them in a way in which I've always led or leading them in a way in which I've always led. It's about understanding them so well that I'll lead in a way in which they need to be led. And there's right. a difference there. Yeah. I mean, that goes to the golden rule versus the platinum rule. And yeah. I'm sure, so since you're familiar, it's your, it's your microphone. Well, I mean, put me on the spot. So the golden rule is do, as, do unto others as they would have done unto you. Is that, help me. Golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do unto you, yeah. right. Um, and do and the platinum rule is treat others as they would want to be treated, essentially, yeah, not how you would want to be I'm treated. I'm trying to think of the exact wording. Tony Alessandra exactly. uh, has that book, but I can't think of the exact wording. Okay, so um, I thought you were going to expand, but that's fine. Now, look, <laughs> um, so, so yeah, what we're talking about, and in, in, in you have this, you have a chapter called Motivation is Us. And yeah. you write, understanding what motivates one's team is crucial to servant leadership. And so I don't know, you, do you want to talk about what are your rules of motivation? Absolutely. Because okay, to me, this is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the first one is that, um, you know, you can't motivate anyone. And yeah. I'll explain a little bit after each one. But uh, my pet peeve is I'll get onto an airplane, as I'm sure you do. And the conversation inevitably turns to what do you do for a living? Mm-hmm. And I'll say I'm a professional speaker. And the first thing I get is, oh, you're a motivational speaker. Oh, right. The hair on the back of my neck kind of stands up because I don't believe there is such a thing. Right. I think that my job as a speaker or trainer or coach or consultant is no different than a leader's job in a company or an organization or a team. I think that my job is to create the environment in which people are motivated, but I can't motivate them. As a servant leader, your people's job is to create the environment, your job is to create the environment in which your people are motivated but you can't motivate them. So the first rule is you can't motivate anyone. The second rule is everyone is motivated. And this is kind of the antithesis to a lot of thinking as well. Uh, you ever had that experience? You ever work in an environment, Tom, uh, where uh, you walk in and there's John. John every morning has his feet up on his desk. He's reading his newspaper, drinking his coffee, and he does nothing for the first 45 minutes. And you turn to somebody and you go, what are we going to do with John? You know, he's just not motivated. Oh, yes, he is. John is motivated to sit there and do nothing for 45 minutes. You know, unless you're dead, you're motivated. So number one is I can't motivate anyone. Number two is everyone is motivated. And the third and most important one, I think, is people are motivated for their reasons, not yours. You know, I would ask the women uh, who are listening, when was the last time you went out and said, I want to be sold a new dress? Ever? Uh, the guys, when was the last time you went out and said, I want to be sold a new necktie ever? What do we say? I need to buy. I, I want to buy. And again, I'm not here for sales training, but there's, there's a very thin line between leadership and sales as we've been talking about. 
I tell salespeople all the time, stop selling. You need to figure out how I buy. Because mm-hmm. the minute you know how to, to uh, offer your, you know, your product, your service, but how about just to present change to me, to present a concept to me, the minute you figure out how I'm going to buy into it is the minute that I'll pay attention. So the third one is people are motivated for their reasons, not their, and not ours. And the last one is if I know more about you than I have before, I can manage the situation, the experience. It just means that I may have worked with you for years, but I really don't know what motivates you. So I've got to figure out what motivates you so I can work with you in a way in which you need to be worked with. All right. Well, look, I don't. I wanted to ask you one more question before we close, but I, I want to recap what you just said, and we're running out of time, so I'll do the best I can. So for our listeners, and this is a podcast, you can go back as well later and rewind and listen to this. I want you to draw a two-by-two two matrix, and essentially what you're going to have is on the left two columns are the internal motivators, and on the left right two columns are the external motivators, and then the top two are going to be positive, and then the, the bottom two are negative. Essentially, in the upper right, you're going to have a carrot, that's positive and external motivation. And then in the bottom, you're going to have a stick that's negative external motivation. Keeping them going around uh, clockwise, we have in the bottom left is I don't want, which are internal and negative. And then the final one in the upper left is I want, and that's positive internal. And our job as leaders, as salespeople, is to do everything what Jeff said, which was to get them in the upper left quadrant, which is be positive and get them to want that. So last question, Jeff, and then we're running out of time. I like your saying, listen to your world for whispers of opportunity. What do you mean? I mean, instead, it doesn't say, you know, talk to your world for whispers of opportunity. (laughs) That's the bottom line. It means we need to ask a lot more questions. Uh, In my communications workshop with leaders, one of the things I talk about is, is when you go into a meeting, what if you said to yourself, I'm gonna do less than 50% of the, the talking. The only way you can do that is to ask a lot of questions, and it's that simple. Uh, you know, there's a whole series of questions, but I gave you what effect and what if. So there are two. Uh, it really is about uh, listening, I think, is something that we don't do well and what most leaders don't do well. My concept of a servant leader is one who is an amazing listener. Great. Well, look, we have less than a minute for you. Do you have any final words about what's going on next? Um, quickly tell us. Yeah, no, I'm very excited because, you know, I just launched an online uh, customer experience certification where people can take a six-week course and online and become um, ACX, which is a, a associated customer experience. So that's the exciting thing for me in 2020. Uh, looking forward to doing a lot more research and the creative thinking, and especially as it applies to customer experience. So, Do you have a website for that already? Uh, I don't yet. Well, yeah, sorry, the website is, you can get to it from my website, jefftobe.com. Okay. All right. Perfect. Well, look, we've been speaking with Jeff Tobe about his book, Coloring Outside the Lines today. Jeff, thank you so much for having us here. Oh, I really, really appreciate it. We're, we're coming on the holiday season and we have two encore performances coming up for the rest of this year. And that's the September 23rd episode we did with Charles uh, Coetzer about leading business beyond profit. And then to start the new year, we've got Chris Kamajarjewski's book, The Power of Reputation. I thought that would be a great way for people to listen to that again and get the new year started. Thank you so much. Have a happy, happy holidays. And I look forward to talking to you directly again on January 6th. Thank you very much. (laughs) 
Thank you for tuning in this week to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. Be sure to join host Tom Crea for another edition next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a great week.